This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com and the Radio.com app. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into the Skate Podcast, episode 48. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined alongside Scott McLaughlin and Bridget Prue, as always. Guys, how are you doing today? Uh, good. Well, yeah. Hey, don't all talk I at once. I stunned over the Oscars last night, but that's, that's for a different podcast. <laughs> Bridget, you watched the Oscars? I, I don't know about Brian, but I, I did not watch the Oscars, no. No, I know I did I. all the time here. <laughs> yeah, if there's no skates, I'm not watching. Um, all right, so... Since we last spoke, the Bruins had three games against the Sabres. That was supposed to be, you know, uh, an opportunity to gain some confidence offensively and tighten things up and kind of gear up for the home stretch. And, you know, it wasn't really, uh, yes, they got four out of six points. Personally, I'm not really thrilled about how they went about it. And then they obviously lost to the Penguins. Um, we'll dive into that as well. Just get your initial thoughts, guys. If you're, you know, worried about the Bruins, the, you know, in spite of, having a six-game win streak. Um, they've lost a couple in a row here. What are you guys' uh, concerns, if any, on the last few games? Well, I think – so the, the loss of the Sabres, I almost kind of throw out. I, you know, I know at this point in the season you shouldn't really do that, but third straight game against Buffalo, second night of a back-to-back, and that just really struck me as one of those games where it's like you're just way off for whatever reason, and you just kind of throw that game in the trash. Uh, the game against Pittsburgh, you know, look, that was the kind of tight game that, that you're going to get in the playoffs if, if you're playing Pittsburgh or anyone else. And, you know, it's not like, it's not like they were that far off Pittsburgh, but it, it was another game where they didn't really look their best. They didn't look like they quite had as much energy as the Penguins did. And obviously they didn't score, so that's concerning. You know, we we talked about how it looked like they had – three, maybe four lines going, and then you run into a game like yesterday where none of them are able to break through. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of attention on the bottom six, which I know we're going to get into, and there's some changes there. But, yeah, I think you, you should be a little concerned losing one to the Penguins on Sunday. And we're recording this on Monday, so we'll see how they bounce, you know, if and how they bounce back Tuesday against Pittsburgh. Yeah, I have a lot to say about the Penguins game as well. It seemed like the Bruins were tired, which makes a lot of sense at this point in the season where they just have played so many games back to back to back. And I think it's starting to catch up with them a little bit. I noticed that the play looked lazy, but then I had to go back and think to myself, it's probably fatigue. I mean, it could be a little bit of both, but um, I think that they're at the point in the season where it's really starting to catch up to them. Um, The fact that they have to play so many games so close together. Uh, the one breakdown that they had that led to the Gessel goal, that was a fourth-line breakdown. They didn't have their top line out there against uh, the Penguins' top line. And, you know, Cassidy called them out after the game was over, and, and rightfully so. He was upset, pretty much kind of signaling that he was upset with Wagner and Corrali. And he had moved Richie down uh, to the fourth line. He had moved Lazar up to the third line. 
he tried to do what he could to, to kind of give them a push in the right direction. They didn't really show up. And I know that guys like Wagner uh, and Corrali respond positively to that kind of uh, criticism and feedback. But Scott, you mentioned earlier, we're going to see more line changes next game. Yeah, so uh, they had a full practice Monday in Pittsburgh between the two games against the Penguins. And Sean Corrali had, was bumped up to third line center with Richie on the left, and the Bruins listed it as Coyle slash DeBrusque on the right. Um, Cassidy said after practice during his press conference that the plan, at least for Tuesday, is he's going to start with Corrali there. And he didn't tip his hand as to whether it's going to be Coyle or DeBrusque on the right. Uh, and he also didn't tip his hand as to, you know, whoever's not in that line, are they on the fourth line or are they a healthy scratch? Um, so he talked about what he's trying to get out of Coyle by moving him to the wing. Obviously, Coyle is in a really long offensive drought here. He hasn't scored a goal in nearly two months. And the idea behind moving him to the wing is that hopefully that gets him more involved offensively. He's going to be in on the forecheck more. He's going to be the, the F1 instead of the F3. And just be in deeper positions, be around the net more, whereas as the center, he's kind of hung back more and, and hasn't been as involved. So they're trying to get him more involved. And Coyle also met with the media on Monday and basically said the same things and said that it's something that has kind of worked with him in the past where he's moved to the wing and gotten more involved. But, you know, look, Coyle has to be a key part of your third line come playoffs. And he's been struggling to really drive that line as the center I think, obviously, ideally, he still ends up back there as your third-line center. That's what you're paying him to be. That's what you want him to be. You know, I don't think you want to try to ride Sean Corrali or Curtis Lazar as your third-line center all playoffs. But I think this is, you know, a way to try to jumpstart Coyle and try to get him more involved, get the puck on his tape more, get him more looks at the net, and, you know, hopefully that starts something going that can then he can then bring back once he moves to center again. So, guys, please remind me to jump back to my thoughts on on that bottom six because, um, you know, I really have some thoughts on that, and it, it's it's been maddening to watch all year. And I just keep saying to myself, you know, they'll they'll figure it out, they'll figure it out. And no, it's not an eighty-two game season; it's fifty-six, so there's less time to do so. But the fact of the matter is, playoffs are around the corner, and they need to figure it out fast. Um, but before I get into that. I you know I, I might be a little bit more discouraged than you guys after the the three games set in Buffalo and the game against Pittsburgh because you're playing an inferior opponent and when I say inferior I mean a team that had an 18 game losing streak I mean a team that's dead last in the NHL in the standings and the Bruins are supposed to be this cup contender now did they take four of six against them yes did they look great in any of those three games mm, no not really the first game. You know, they were definitely the better team, and I like that Pashnak was able to, you know, get a nice goal for himself cutting across the circles there and kind of vintage pasta style. Thought maybe that would get him going, not really. Um, the second game, but they got to do points, right? That's very important this stage of the season. The second game, the third period was great. That was how I felt they should have played the majority of the three-game set. And then the third game, yeah, Scott, I agree. It's like you're in the same city, you know, four nights over the course of a week, the same team three times. It's a little bit monotonous. I get it. You know, I get that. But I still want them to, you know, play better than that. The last seven minutes of the game, you're down 5-1. Next thing you know, it's 5-4. So it's like, 
okay, so you guys can play this way when you want to. And then I think you saw it again against Pittsburgh. It's like, you know that, you know, Cassidy was, maybe he gave them a, a, a slight pass after the third Buffalo game, but he wasn't happy about the way that they played the first 57 minutes, whatever it was. You would think they'd come out against Pittsburgh and understand the gravity of the situation and they're in a dogfight. And, you know, I don't think the effort was terrible in the top six and some of the best, their better defensemen came to play and Swayman came to play. But uh, down the lineup, talk about passengers. I mean, so many passengers. And now Pittsburgh has leapfrogged uh, Washington into first. So, guys, I don't know what to think of this team. All year, we've been writing about them, talking about them. And it reminds me of when I was like in sixth grade having a crush. And I have like the flower petals. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me. I don't know how this team is gearing up for the playoffs. I don't know if they're a, a cup contender or I don't know if they're first round exit. Um, so again, I'll get into the, you know, the, more of the depth scoring later, but that's, that's how I feel watching the last week or so. It's like, you got to have a six game win streak and now you look like a team that you did pre deadline. You know, the, the deadline additions are playing well and, and, you know, but I can't figure this team out and I've been watching them all year writing about them and I still can't figure them. I don't know about you guys. Well, I think you, they're kind of struggling for the finish line, like a lot of teams. And Bridget touched on this. Like the schedule has been so crazy. I think teams are just, they're struggling to bring it every night. Uh, unless you're really in a playoff battle for your life. And yeah, the Bruins haven't secured a spot yet, but they're still four points ahead of the Rangers. They still have two games in hand on the Rangers. Like things still look pretty good. They still look pretty good for the top four in the division. Like those, those are still the four you're going to expect to be there. And I think that they've all kind of had some hiccups here recently. Like, you know, we talk about the Sabres being a bad team that you should take advantage of. Well, the Sabres have also beaten the Penguins and Capitals in the last, within like the last two weeks. So they're a team that's playing better and and other teams have, have had hiccups too and haven't been able to take advantage of them. So, you know, I think everyone's kind of just trying to get to the finish line here and like be standing on your feet when, when the playoffs arrive. You know, I don't think, and Bruce Cassidy even kind of mentioned this on Monday. I don't think seeding in this division really necessarily matters. It's four teams that look very close, and you have to go through two of them anyways. Home ice isn't the same with limited number of fans. So you know, I don't like. I don't think anyone's really going all in on. Oh, we have to play our ass off every night to get the the number one seed in the division. Like, I think they're all just like, let's just get in. Let's try to be healthy and you know, hope we're in a good place two weeks from now. Yeah, and I think that there are some things that you can look into as positives, I guess. The fact that the team's healthier now uh, just gives you a sign that, I know they had a, a rough night in Pittsburgh, but, you know, they have Swayman ready to go. They they have such depth at goalie, which clearly they needed last playoff. So that works in their favor um, long term. They also got Grizzly back. And the defense is looking a little bit more solid than it was when we were sitting here questioning it, like, what is going on with this defense? Um, but I think that there are some reasons to think that if they finish out this, this week coming up, the game against Pittsburgh Tuesday and the two games against Buffalo at the end of the week, if they can come out with two wins in that, I think we're going to get a taste of more uh, what they can really do coming into this final stretch. And we're going to get uh, a better understanding of how tired they really are. 
So I'm with you guys as far as the seeding goes. I, I'm not overly concerned if they're fourth, second, third, or fourth. Obviously, just be one of them. Um, for me, though, I need to see them play in the right way. That like that's it's not so much that they lost against the Penguins or that they lost the third game against the Sabers. If you lose a game, I'm never gonna you know crucify you or or you know um, you know be disappointed or or, or upset. It's when it's when I'm not seeing the effort or playing the right way. That's what concerns me. It's not so much the win or the loss. It's you know how'd you play in the 60 minutes. And so like even if the Bruins win a game but they play like shit, you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know sit here and and say oh they you know hey they won they played great. No like if 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 you don't if you suck you suck whether you win or you lose vice versa. So that brings me to the bottom six. And 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 Scott, you brought up um, Coyle hasn't scored in like two months. If you remember correctly, that was against the Flyers at Lake Tahoe. And um, when he scored that goal, even then, it was like his first goal in like 15 games, whatever it's been. So I you know, I tweeted this out the other night, and it was something like, I don't have it in front of me, it was, it was 13 goals in like 156 games between Coyle, Corrali, Wagner, and DeBrusque. And look, going into the year, I'm not expecting a ton of goals from Corrali and DeBrusque. Maybe like 15 between the two of them, 7 for one, 8 for the other, something like that. Coyle and DeBrusque, if they didn't have it in them, I wouldn't be wasting my breath. I've seen the two of them at different stages of their careers play the, the way that you have to to score goals. And if you go back and look at some of Jake DeBrusque's highlights from you know past years when he's playing well, he's he's attacking defensemen, he's shooting through screens, he's going to the net, he's doing what it takes to score. And you know I don't even know if he's moved his feet since, you know, a karaoke night with the boys or something like that, dancing. Like, he's he's just out there. I'm watching him against the Penguins, guys, and it looks like he has, like, a rope lassoed around the, the Penguins players, and he's just he's letting them pull him around the ice on it. If it's a 50-50 puck battle, it's 90-10. He's not going for it. He's not paying the prices it takes enough. Yes, a shift here and there, you'll see it, but it's about consistency. And, you know, like, I, they they lack confidence, so they're not scoring. But it's like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? You need to gain confidence by playing the right way. If you're a player and you know you're affecting the game in other ways and you know you're giving it your all, it's just you don't have good luck, then you can still have confidence. And if you work hard, you gain the confidence to score, and that's how it happens. I want to throw this question about the bottom six uh, to Scott. What is Richie's role, ideally, in this bottom six? Because he was someone who was going earlier on in the season producing offense, still spending time on the top power play unit. But then when you factor him in to the bottom six, he hasn't really been as productive. Obviously, when you're not playing on the same line as, as some of the top guys, that your production's probably going to fall off. But he hasn't really added as much, uh, and you can't really see his full potential now as he's dropped down to the bottom six. Yeah, and I mean, Richie at least has scored two goals over the last week, which is, you know, much more than anyone else in that bottom six. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's going to – he's third line left wing ideally, and if he struggles there, you bump him down or even make him a healthy scratch. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, Richie kind of is what he is. Like, he's got to be around the net. He's got to be down low. Uh, he does have pretty good hands. So, like, he, you know, he can help you score goals. But he's not really a player that like drives five on five play all that much. So that's where you need whoever else is on that line is the guys who need to be doing that. And the, Coyle and DeBrus should be able to do that, but obviously they're not right now. And that's where 
you know, I think this move of uh, putting Corrali up, even if it's just for a game or two, now you kind of have this, like, this mini competition between Coyle and DeBrusque to be the right wing on that line. And, you know, hopefully that brings something out of at least one of them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, yeah, Richie needs to – he's going to have to rely on line mates because he's not – you know, he's not carrying the puck always up by himself. He's not dangling around anyone or anything like that. Um, so he kind of goes as his line mates go, and right now Coyle and DeBrusque aren't going. So, uh, you know, I think that's what you've got to figure out is, like, how do you get guys going next to him who are going to be able to – Get him the puck in, in those areas around the net. But guys, this I is. I have a question for Brian now. Yeah, I have go ahead. a question for you, Brian. Yep. Uh, of the bottom six that are currently in the lineup, the that Cassie's been rolling the last few games, who is the biggest cause for concern for you? I want to say I want to say DeBrusque, but I'm gonna say Coyle just because of the importance of the position, and I think that you can find a solution on the fourth line easier because the fourth line's role is just more so energy, and like. Here's here here's the issue is that, and Bridget, I think you brought it up last week, and you said something along the lines of you know maybe Cassidy can can insert like a Coolman or something like that into the third line, and my response to that was, it has to be a short term thing because long term you need your best players in order to win, you know in the lineup, and so like I don't think Coolman as a third liner is going to help you win a Stanley Cup. And that's why it's they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because they need Coil, they need DeBrusque to play at their ceilings if they want to go far. And you know, having Kuhlman or Corrali play in their place or Lazar, it's not optimal. the 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 solution is that these guys need to get their head out of their ass, essentially. And because uh, I say Coil is the the answer to your question, because third line center is massive. And Coil, I we watched him in 2019 we, in the playoffs. We watched how important he was with Johansson. If those two aren't clicking, the Bruins don't even maybe get out of the Toronto series. Who knows? And then last year, Coyle had like 16 goals, could have been over 20 when when the COVID pause came. And then he actually played well in the in the bubble, you know, considering the circumstances. So I I know he can do it. You just ha- in that line in theory, Richie, DeBrusque, and Coyle, and maybe not ideal having DeBrusque on his offside. I get that, but it's like, what are you going to do? In theory, guys, they should be a good line. Coyle and Richie should be able to cycle the puck with ease and protect the puck with their size and ability down low. And DeBrusque should just be like a little honey badger at the top of the circle going to the net back and forth. Like, those guys should have success, but they're not. And it comes back to, like I said, the lack of confidence. And, like, you don't just get confidence from scoring a goal. Like, like stop feeling sorry for yourselves. Like, how many times do you have to watch Coyle and DeBrus just, like, with bad body language on the bench, like, oh, the world's out to get me? Just, just... I was just about to... I was, sorry, Brian. No, no, the, I, I'm, I'm done. I was just... It's like, stop feeling sorry for yourselves and go go do something about it. Like, I, I think I said to one of our um, followers last time on Twitter, it's like, they're waiting for a break. They have to go out and, and earn it. And until that happens, guys, like, that's... We can sit here and talk about all these different solutions we want, like, different line combinations. But the fact of the matter is... DeBrusque and Coyle need to be in their top nine if they want to go far, but they have to be in their top nine at their ceiling. And if you sub them out for somebody else, like a Lazar or a Corrali or whatever, then your team's not going to be as good because your team has to have everybody going. And so it's it's that's my biggest concern is those two. And it's not like they're getting chances. Like here and there, yeah, but it's just go to the freaking net. Like when's the last time, Bridget, I said this to you uh, yesterday in the studio after the Red Sox game. Scott, 
have you seen Jake DeBrusque stop and go on a puck this year or go on the forecheck and, and, and actually hit somebody like he means it? Or is it am I just crazy? Because I, I don't I don't watch these games looking to pick apart these players. I'm I'm doing it for a reason because this is what I'm seeing. No, yeah, you're right. If, if it has happened, it hasn't been nearly often enough. And, you know, like you said, like that's the most frustrating thing. Like we've seen DeBrusk do in the past. We've seen Cole do in the past. We know what it looks like when they're playing well. And you just don't see it, um, which, you know, Cassidy just a week ago was preaching patience when it came to that third line and saying, you know, yeah, they haven't played together much, so we're going to give them some time. And that lasted like three days. And then, you know, one change was out of necessity because Bergeron missed the game Friday night. So Coyle had to be the one who moved up because uh, you're not splitting up the second line right now. You want them to keep building chemistry. Um, you know, so, and I think that's kind of what put the idea in his head, actually, that, hey, you know, maybe I can change this up because Richie Corrali, uh, DeBrusque that night, not the whole game, but in the third period showed flashes when they were on the ice for two of those goals during that comeback. So I think that kind of put the idea in Cassidy's head that, like, and by the way, Coyle on the top line, that line didn't create chances and Coyle didn't get any chances. Playing with Marshawn and Postanak, two guys who, you know, I feel like I could get a decent scoring chance or two playing between those two. So you would, uh, you get a hat. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, so like, then it's like patience goes out the window, and now you're changing things up. And he changes it up in game on Sunday with you know a couple changes, and now doing it in practice. So now we're kind of at this like point of throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks, and just hope something does. And this is the point in the season where you're trying to make people feel confident and solidify those lines. And the fact that it hasn't fallen into place yet kind of leaves a little bit of a seed of doubt, maybe in the players' minds. Like, hey, we're not work. We haven't figured out, you know, what we're going to roll with when we get to the playoffs. This is you know, nine games left. This is really when you should know these are the guys we're going to rely on. Uh, this, this is the combination. Let's just work on it, get stronger at it especially considering they're about to head into a playoff where you've seen all these teams so many times already in the year. And you should be starting to get a picture of what works and what doesn't work, especially against those teams. So I think that it works negatively towards their, their, you know, um, how they look at it mentally, uh, just not being able to figure it out quite yet. I will say, except for probably the second line, because the second line has looked, pretty good the last few games and I think the chemistry is improving there um, but I wanted to make one final point about the bottom six I think that and you you mentioned Brian the confidence situation I think that so far in the last few games Lazar has probably the most confidence out of any of those guys I would agree with that I mean he he, he definitely has a little bit more touch to his game uh, you know, you see a lot of times with with Wagner and Corrali, it's kind of like hot potato. The puck jumps off their stick, you know. And you mentioned it at the, the on the trade deadline episode that Lazar is a former first round selection, so he definitely has a little bit more confidence with the puck. And you know, like you said, this is a time of year where you're supposed to be. You know, it's interesting because if this was an 82 game season, then you're talking like the middle of the season right now, right? So like that's oftentimes when teams are still figuring things out. Because of the expedited schedule and the playoffs are now like so close, um, you know, it may be unfair, but at the same time, you have nine games left now or ten, whatever it is, and and 
it's not a time to be experimenting. This is a time to be like these, these this is what we're looking at, you know, health if health is all there and we're it's time to gear up. And instead, we're sitting here trying to figure out the bottom six. Now, for my money, guys, like I'm not touching the top six because because they're they're clicking and and I don't want to be negative because they have one they had won six games in a row and they did have three great wins last week but we already talked about that and the reason that I'm bringing up the bottom six right now is because I know how and we all do how important that that is for a championship team so I'm not we're not just t- talking about them to be negative it's we know how important that is um, and I will we will get into the top six and the, and stuff like that but it, the problem for my money I would do I would do uh, Frederick with Lazar and Corrali. That's what I would do on the fourth line, and I would stick with the third line as is, and just you got to ride or die with these guys now. The top six, aside from Pashnak, and who, by the way, is still you know more than a point a game, so it's relative. He's still producing, but we know he can do a little bit more. And there's a lack of scoring chances with him. For me, it's not so much the lack of points with him; it's the lack of scoring chances. You you see, he's kind of fighting the puck a little bit, but I think they'll be fine. The second line has been great with Krejci and Craig Smith, and Jake DeBrusque should watch Craig Smith play hockey because that's the kind of effort you need to play with every time you're on the ice. But those two with Taylor Hall, who, by the way, has been really playing hard and, and, and focusing on that 200-foot game. He had some great back checks against Pittsburgh and Buffalo. So, he, guys, he here's... Sidney Crosby. He stopped Sidney Crosby from another empty net goal at the end of the game. Yep. He worked mm-hmm. his butt off and used his long stride to get back on defense and uh, just tip it off uh, his blade. So, I mean, that, I thought that that showed – I mean, the Bruins at that point in time, you already knew they weren't going to win. No. But it still showed that he was willing to put in the effort all the way to the end. Exactly, Bridget. And so here's my question to you guys. Um, so if the top six is playing so well five-on-five – why are they struggling so much in the power play when it's more or less the same personnel? I think because they, they teams have adjusted to them and they haven't been able to adjust and they haven't been able to practice a lot to try to make adjustments. Um, and they're just not executing. Like, I guess maybe that's probably even first and foremost is they're not entering the zone cleanly. I think that's really where it starts. And that has been a struggle for a while now is, you know, it's been tough for them to even get in the zone and get set up and, and start moving. And then the times that they have, I feel like they're not moving enough. Like it, it's, there's a lot of standing around. There's a lot of, okay, just move it to the guy who's open, but the guy's on the outside and then there's like no one else in motion. So, you know, it's, it's not fast enough. They're not creating dangerous scoring chances. And we kind of met, we mentioned this last week, but, Okay, teams have adjusted to the plays they know the Bruins want to go to on the power play, right? That the Pasternak one time from the left circle, teams have taken that away. The pass from Marshawn to Richie right on top of the crease, that hasn't been there. Okay, so now what are you going to do? And they haven't really figured out the answer. Like, they haven't really found a good solution for either how to create those chances again, whether it's different setups to get to that point, or how to get other looks. Uh, so I know they're practice session Monday again they're, they're averaging like one full practice a week at this point basically Monday was was it for this week uh I know they've spent a lot of time on the power play so we'll see how that translates does it look better this week as they get back on the ice now that they've had a practice and gone through some stuff um but yeah they, they've got it obviously the talent's there we know that like th- this team isn't lacking for offensive talent that's had power play success in the past 
So they just, they just have to figure out how to kind of fight through uh, these different defenses that they're seeing that have taken away some of the chances that they want to get. Bridget? Oh, sorry. I thought Brian was going to go. Um, no, and, and Scott, something I noticed about the power play, too, they haven't been as crisp on their passes. I noticed that every, more recently, more than usual, they've been uh, trying to make that pass across uh, the blue line or, or slightly down, you know, uh, closer to the dots. It doesn't make it through. Uh, and they just, I've seen it almost turn into shorthanded chances uh, the other way. So they're passing on the power play. I don't know what's up with it. The chemistry is a little bit off. Um, and it's one of those things that we've been talking about for a while. Uh, the power play, theoretically, this unit should be da- as dangerous as, you know, any team's top power play unit. So I think... I mean, really, both units. Like, there's a lot of talent on that second unit, too. Yeah, well, and, and honestly, it's kind of like an abundance of talent to the point where you don't really know who to quarterback the first unit. Should it be Grizzlick or McAvoy or Riley? Like, And so, yeah, while there's a lot of individual talent enough for two pop I think you know they have two number one units really like as far as level of talent on each unit um you know a, a few things I've noticed in the power play yes they've keyed in on pasta on the one timer and he has a he has no confidence with his one timer right now as well but I think that they've been they've been forcing the bumper play too much and I think the bumper is only as effective when it's kind of the element of surprise and so um, you know, teams are focusing on, you just, you see Marshand or Richie try to hit, hit Bergeron and, you know, when you're Bergeron in the bumper, by the way, your back is like always facing pasta. It's always facing the guy at the point. So it's not easy for him to like, he makes it look easy, but for Bergeron to move the puck from, from when he receives it to where it's going is not, it's a very difficult job when you can't see the whole ice where the other guys on the power play, they can see the whole zone. Bergeron can't. The other issue, and again, it kind of comes down to like, so who should be the quarterback on the power play, is zone entries. Um, I've noticed, obviously, difficult with zone entries, and I think, for that reason, I really want to see Taylor Hall on that top unit. We talked about the benefit of having him on one circle, pasta on the other, but the other thing that Taylor Hall does effortlessly, as Scott has um, noted many times, is his zone entries, and so... I think that Taylor Hall should be on that top unit. I think he's being wasted on a second unit, quite frankly. And yeah, I because th- they already have they already have someone who Dave Crazy on the second unit that's mm-hmm. you know going to be probably handling the zone entries and the setup. So yeah, I get what you're saying there because that's really important to getting the power play going. Aside from you know winning that first face off in the offensive zone, once the puck comes out, you need somebody who can handle you know setting it right back up. Uh, quickly as quickly as possible. So I agree. I, 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 and they have had Hall on the top power play unit before, and I've liked it. So I, I see no reason why not to go with Hall on the top unit. Yeah, and there's been a lot yeah, of practice I mean, time too. Yeah, exactly. I don't think they had practiced with Hall on the top power play unit at all. I don't know if they did Monday or not, but before that, I don't think they had even gotten a chance to try that. Um, yeah, I mean, you meant like, Look at how Hall forces defenders to back off when he skates the puck in five on five. Now just imagine, you know, five on four, like, yeah, he's going to have space. He's going to be able to get into the zone and at least get set up. And, you know, for me, I would drop Richie down to the second unit. 
I don't think it, it hasn't, the probably hasn't been working with him as the net front guy for, you know, kind of like almost going on two months now. I think it's been two months since Richie himself has scored a power play goal. And it's not like the unit as a whole has been su- successful during that time either. So, you know, like if you're not getting those chances at the net front or he's not setting screens that are uh, leading to goals, then what, you know, what really are you accomplishing with him there? Like, I like the idea in theory, but it hasn't been working for a while now. So that's why, you know, I would rather have Hall, another playmaker, another guy who can make things happen with the puck on a stick. And, you know, and Marshawn usually ends up near the net front on the power play anyways. And he's a very different kind of net front presence, but he can like he can work those areas and he can be around there for rebounds or for that low pass down to the doorstep or whatever. You know, think about like last year in the bubble, it was like two or three power play goals that Marshawn scored by like literally just standing at the doorstep and someone hit his skate with a pass pretty much. Um, like he can get to those areas and, and make himself available. So I don't think, I don't think you need Richie. And I think the upside of putting Hall there and what he can bring in terms of making stuff happen, uh, it would be worth it for me. We'll, we'll see if that's something they try at some point. My, I feel like Cassidy wants to keep going with the units as they are. And I don't think that's the right call because I don't, yeah. it hasn't been working. I'm not sure what would make you think it's going to start working here, but uh, we'll, we'll see how this week goes. I think that's a mistake. Have- yeah, Bridget, once I, I think, I think that's a mistake because I think that, look, when, when the option was either Richie, Coyle, or DeBrusque as the fifth guy, then sure, give it to Richie. And he was playing well. But you bring in Taylor Hall, it changes things. And, and Brad Marshand, while he's not, you know, 6'5 in front of the goal, one of the most important things in a power play is puck retrieval. Name me one player that's more ferocious on a puck retrieval than Brad Marchand beneath the goal line. So I think he would be phenomenal to have in that position. And then, you know, yeah, I think, I think the question is, and I don't know the answer to this, honestly. I mean, I know I like McAvoy, but I don't know who truly should be that, that top person on the power play. Sorry, Bridget, go ahead. Yeah, it's okay because I was um, going to change the subject a little bit anyway. Um, so this is this coming up on Tuesday is the last time the Bruins play the Penguins this season, and they look a lot better than they did even earlier in this month. Uh, so my question they learned how to guys, play defense. <laughs> yes, and my question to you guys is if this is the matchup for the Bruins, how do you feel about it? Because I want to bring up another stat uh, that was mentioned yeah um in the last game with the penguins which is that the uh Bergeron line has scored 20 points against the penguins this season obviously they weren't able to be effective in Sunday's game but that that success hopefully would carry over into a series in the playoffs which is obviously contrary to what we saw on on Sunday so guys what do you think we would see in a playoff series between uh the penguins well, I think, like, you know, we've talked about how the Bruins would match up against the Capitals and Islanders and how those would be tough series. And we're probably too dismissive of how tough the Penguins would be. You know, maybe not physically like those teams, but, yeah, the Penguins have gotten a lot better throughout the course of this season. And if you look at their schedule the rest of the way, they could very well win this, you know, finish first in the division. And they're getting Again, Malkin back. Yeah, and they're getting Malkin back. But yeah, they've been uh, a mu- they've been a really good defensive team. I think 
I looked this up yesterday, but like over the last two, since the start of March, rather, uh, they've given up under two and a half goals a game, which would, over the course of the season, put them top five in the league. So, and, you know, I still don't love their goaltending. I don't really think I would trust Tristan Jerry and Casey Smith for a playoff run, but the defense in front of them has been much better, and they're playing a, a much better system now. And we saw that. The Bruins couldn't get anything going offensively against them on Sunday. So there's no pushover in this division. You know, I don't. And even the Rangers aren't. Even the Rangers no. aren't right now. So that's, that's another problem, obviously, the Bruins are dealing with. They're a little bit too close for comfort. Sometimes that, and, and it should push a team to give that final effort uh, in this in this final stretch of the last nine games. But it also can cause a little bit of anxiety, especially when the season's already so condensed. That, that, that probably doesn't play well either so like I said it should and it couldn't it should end up being a harder push to improve before the end of the season and guys I gotta move because this light you see this <laughs> spooky gonna, spooky just spooky give spooky me a second. just give me a second my light came so I'm gonna, I'm gonna move. um so uh, just to answer your question Bridget you know it's uh honestly I I think I owe Pittsburgh an apology I think that I hadn't really considered them as a true threat. I kind of always pictured them as, um, you know, fourth on the list if the Bruins played to their capabilities, which they hadn't. So it was kind of like whatever. But the the interesting thing is the Penguins, Capitals, and Islanders all present much different matchups for the Bruins in a first round series and different challenges. And what Pittsburgh has forced me to question myself now is which challenge would you prefer? Um, so I think the I think the Islanders really possess a I mean yeah Pittsburgh's playing well defensively but you want to talk about a defensive clinic you look at the Islanders Barry Trotz no matter who he coaches coaches discipline emphasizes structure and work ethic and uh you know their back pressure their back checking their forechecking the Islanders play a very very honest game and that's why you have to respect them so a seven gamer against them would be very difficult just because you would the Islanders would never allow an opponent to outwork them. You have to out-execute them. Um, the Capitals, I feel like, is a very, very challenging matchup physically. And obviously they have great uh, you know, finishers and, and, and offensive talent. So the Capitals would provide that challenge. I think that they would bring out the best in the Bruins because of this, there's true animosity. And I think that the Capitals do have holes in their game defensively. But the Pittsburgh Penguins have so much speed that the other two teams don't have as much of. And I think that's when you see the Bruins struggle the most against teams historically is when their speed gets in on the forecheck and um, forces the Bruins defense to make quick decisions and, you know, forces their forwards to fumble the pucks on breakouts. And there's just no time. There's no breathing room. And that's why I want the Bruins to play against other teams is how Pittsburgh plays with their speed. So where does that leave us? Um, I don't know which I would prefer. I think, and and you guys said even like I'm watching the Penguins game yesterday. Whenever it was, I, I lose track of days nowadays. But um, and I'm watching how it was yeah yeah I'm watching how fast how fast they were and how relentless they were in the forecheck. And I'm like, ah, Pittsburgh's gonna be a tough out. And then I said to myself, Jesus, I'm like, Malkin's not even playing, nor is Brandon Tanev, who is no Evgeny Malkin. But talk about a honey badger. He he never stops moving his feet. And so those are two players that the Penguins um, 
would presumably get back in a playoff series. So I don't know. I think the easy answer is the Bruins just need to worry about their game and play their game and not worry about who their opponent is. Um, I think Pittsburgh would give Bru- the Bruins fits with their speed. I think they would be able to beat the Capitals and Islanders because they eh, it's it's more of a big boy type of game. But yeah, the Penguins, you know, they they deserve um, some apologies from myself and maybe others who didn't. Like Scott said, the goaltending's iffy. Um, but yeah, no easy outs in this division whatsoever. So and that's why I think whoever wins the East, the Mass Mutual Eastern Division. Um, we'll have a tough time getting to the cup finals because it's going to be a gauntlet to get out of it. And I have a few final points about the, about what a matchup with the Penguins could look like. Um, first of all, Mark Malkin in the 29 games he's played, which isn't even, it's not that many considering, you know, how far we are into the season. He has 24 points and that's, uh, he's going to end up bringing the second line back to being, you know, as strong as it usually is for Pittsburgh. And, the top line for the Penguins is actually the only line, the, the only line in the league that has all three players uh, as 20 goal scorers. So, Russ, you got to watch out for Russ. You got to watch out for Getzel. You got to watch out for Crosby, you, what, whether he has the puck or whether he doesn't have the puck. It makes it more challenging to defend. Uh, the Bruins' top line, yes, probably as capable as any other line in, in terms of defending that Pittsburgh top line. But you see what happens when another line gets caught out there on the ice and they end up, you know, allowing that first line to score. It ends up being the deciding goal. And that's, that's the problem. You really need, and in that case, you know, maybe home ice advantage does play into someone's favor. Um, but it's going to be a, a hard task for whoever gets Pittsburgh um, in the playoffs, which obviously uh, nobody's clinched yet, but it's looking like they're a sure thing. Yeah, one thing about Pittsburgh that would worry me in particular is when Malkin comes back, we'll see how they line up, but I think it's expected that his wings would be Jason Zucker and Kasper Kapanen, who are both very fast. And I could see, like, games in Pittsburgh where they have the last change. If you get that line out there against the Bruins' third defense pairing, which, look, the Bruins still need to get Carlo back first and foremost, but if that third defense pairing ends up being Kevin Miller and whether it's Lozon or Clifton or, you know, Tenorti, I guess, but Zaboro maybe, like, that pairing could be so exposed by a line with two wings that speedy. Like, at least the Bruins' other defense pairings, you know, Riley has speed, Grizzly and McAvoy are both great skaters. So you feel a little bit better about how those pairings would match up against speed, but Whatever the Bruins' third defense pairing is, I feel like could could really be exposed in that matchup. Yeah, I actually, um, you know, I, I paid attention to that the other day because Kevin Miller was with Mike Riley, and I didn't love that pairing. It just it didn't really they didn't really mesh. It's not that they played really bad or or anything like that. Um, I just think that Miller uh, will be better suited with Lausanne. Again, look, they're they're not fully healthy back there, so they're mixing and matching. I get that. Um, eh, they just seemed out of sync to me. I don't know. I think that I think I really just want to see Carlo come back so I can see what this top six will look like with when healthy. Um, because I do believe, and Scott, I know somebody had asked about Lausanne. I think that um, you know, I think that Kevin Miller will be the best defenseman on the Bruins to compliment him on and off the ice. 
And I just didn't, the, the, I wasn't in love with the pairings the other night, other day. Yeah, so, so someone on so Twitter followed comment, because I tweeted something about uh, Lausanne the other game where he, uh, I'm trying to think who he was met, who he was going against, but he let the defenseman had swooped down, gone behind the net, Lausanne like, passed him off, let him go, which was fine, that, like, that's an okay play. But then Lausanne just kind of like stood at the post, and the eventual goal scorer snuck in right behind him and just buried it. And I was like, Lausanne didn't turn around, like, didn't have the awareness to be like, okay, I let one guy go. Now I have to go pick up someone else or look for someone to pick up. And so that the question was like, has he just lost confidence? Like, what is going on with him? And I think that is probably part of Like, look, he hasn't looked the same since he came back from his hand injury. And there have been a lot of mental mistakes in there. And that was the latest one. But the, there was obviously that game where he had like the two terrible passes yeah, right up the middle that got picked up. That was against the Devils, and he had a he had a turnover that was like a gimme goal for Miles Wood. And then at the end of the game, he he turned it over off of a faceoff, and uh, Palmieri scored. Bruins ended up winning that game in the in the shootout, which you know they were able to make up for those two mistakes on that particular night. But there's also been games where he's taken like say a holding penalty. Uh, that ends up hurting them, and, you know, they give up a power play goal after that. I took a look because you mentioned, like, we were going to start answering some, like, questions that we get or some comments that we get from our Twitter followers, Um, and one of the main ones was the Lausanne one. He's had such a roller coaster season, uh, and and it started out strong. I don't know if you guys would have agree with me on that he started out looking like he was able to keep pace with uh NHL caliber defenseman but then after his his hand injury he missed 13 games um and things were a little bit off and still maybe aren't completely back to normal though I haven't really noticed that it was his stick work or anything that could have to do with the hand it's more of his decision making I would say that's been the problem but he when he ends up on a pairing with, by the way, they had him on a pairing with uh, McAvoy at one point in time, and that kind of hid you know, some of the mistakes that he was making. But yeah. now that he's been with Stephen Camper, uh, Jakob Zaboral, and even they had him with uh, Jack Ashan uh, while Ashan was up. So he's been paired with so many different people, and they don't all work as well together. Brian, you said you think that Miller is the better option to be paired with him. Um, when Carlo comes back, it'll be interesting to see what they go with um, back there. But he's had such a roller coaster season because after that game we were talking about where he had the two turnovers uh, and two goals come out of it, he ends up uh, getting scratched. So Kathy scratches them, had some negative things to say um, in the post-game press conference that day. And so he comes back from, from getting scratched and you know, I think he might be one of the players that doesn't necessarily respond positively because uh, it works for some players and it doesn't for others. It could kill someone's confidence or it could make them work harder. And I kind of felt I kind of got the vibe that it maybe um, deflated him a little bit. And that's kind of where uh, we are today. So, I mean, earlier in the year, like you said, Bridget, he was with McAvoy. So I, I say Kevin Miller is probably the best spot for him because you're not going to put him with McAvoy in the playoffs because we've seen yeah. too much of Lozon. He's not ready for it. Um, so I think we all agree we like McAvoy and Grizzlick, and I think we all like the idea of Carlo and Riley, though we, we haven't seen them together yet. And so that to me that leaves that leaves uh, Miller and Lozon. And I do feel that, that Jeremy has 
played well enough to earn that sixth spot over, um, you know, some of the other depth defensemen. Um, you know, as far as as far as his recent play, like I, I think he just needs to keep it simple and, and understand his role. And I think if he's in a situation with Kevin Miller, where it's just lock it down in the PK and 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 you know play physical against you know other teams third or fourth lines, you know, just simplify the game and 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 listen to your partner out there. And uh, you know, on ice communication is huge. And I'm sure Stephen Camper, who's a veteran, is good at that. But you know, he's not a mainstay back there, so um, that's why I think he should he'd be better off with Miller for who he's playing against when he's out there with them and who his partner is. I don't know if Scott, you, you have anything to add to what can maybe turn it around for him. Can I just say one quick, one quick thing to, to, um, to your point, Brian, I don't know if you guys remember, but to call back earlier in the season when, when Frederick was playing physical, uh, Cassidy was complimenting the team's uh, physicality and how they were playing. And he listed Lausanne in that group, and he expects Lausanne to be more physical. I don't know if you guys remember this, but he got into a fight with uh, Pavel Buchnevich of the Rangers earlier in the season, and he was playing with a different level of grit. Now, could that be the injury that's keeping him from going in? And obviously, you got a hand injury. You're probably not going to fight anyone the rest of the season. So maybe that affects you know his ability to be as – aggressive as he was earlier in the season in terms of physicality um now scott if, if you have anything to add yeah we're just gonna actually scott one second <laughs> <laughs> and uh so and kevin miller you know bruce Cassidy has talked about this in the past how like he's really good with younger defenders in terms of kind of you know leading the pair which is something that cassidy has relied on with veterans in the past and just in terms of like getting them ready for practice kind of pumping them up uh you know Kevin Miller talked about this. Cassidy has talked about this about how Kevin Miller always wants to be like the best pairing in practice that day, the hardest to play against. And I think sometimes some of that stuff gets like a little overrated. I think, but with a guy like Lozon in particular, I feel like something like that could help. Like that that veteran who's gonna pump him up, who's gonna like you know work with him to to be hard to play against. You know, we're just talking about that grit and physicality. Like obviously Miller brings that, so that's where I could see that working. Like I said, just on the ice, I would be worried about them against uh, speedy wingers in particular. Um, since we're going on pretty long here, one thing I want to make sure we get to, uh, because we also got a question about the goaltending situation. And the question was, do you, what are the chances of a Rast Swayman goaltending tandem in the playoffs? And I would say pretty high, but I also think that leads us to a couple other points, which is, Okay, now there's nine games left. Halak has gotten into one game as a backup in mop-up duty and what was at the time a blowout. Uh, obviously, the Bruins did mount a comeback and make it interesting. But do we think there's any role for Halak? Do we see him getting into games here? And then I also have uh, another question about Swim that I want to follow up with after, but I guess we'll start there. Does Halak have a role, or are we all locked in on Rask and Swayman? Are the two that you're riding to the end of the season? and riding with as your top two in the playoffs. Bridget? Uh, I think that it will be Raskin Swayman, though I do think that Halak has a role that he can play, especially because when you when you get into the playoffs, you, you never know what's going to happen, especially with Tuca and his history this year with um, you know his, his uh, back injury. And he says it's completely fine now, but he can re-injure something like that. But I think Swayman is the original guy they go with um, as a backup or and then taking some some of the games to rest, rest. 
And I don't see any reason why he wouldn't do it. He's clearly proven in his game so far. Was it six games so far? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That uh, seven, I think. Yeah, Five, maybe I think seven now, yeah. yeah. So his, in his seven games so far, he's proven that he's an NHL caliber goalie. Uh, he looks so composed. He's he's good in almost any situation. He saved the Bruins on several occasions. And, and, and in the game against Pittsburgh, you know, he had a really good effort, but it because his offense couldn't get going and produce any goals, he ends up, you know, getting the loss. It's no fault of his own because that was a great play set up by Crosby to get them. So I see him as the backup. It's hard to see a goalie or any player lose their position uh, because of an injury or in this case COVID for a lack. So I wonder if that factors into Cassidy's thinking like, okay, you don't usually like to see a guy lose his job for that, but Swayman has made the case for himself, and I think he's made a stronger case than Halak. Yeah, but it's not the, um, you know, it's not the industry to to hold hands and you know feel bad for somebody. It's it's what it is, and like yes, you know, Swayman got the opportunity in in Vladder because of of you know circumstances, but it's it's sorry sorry Yaro, but um, you know we 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 got to go with the guys that give us the best chance to win, and, and that is Swayman. And by the way, as far as Halak's role, I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn. I I tweeted something that I thought was one of the funniest things I've probably ever tweeted, and I don't think anybody even got it, but it was it was a video of, um of uh like, the Mighty Ducks movie when Goldberg's, like, trying to um get Julie the cat to like, eat a bunch of, like, desserts and stuff like that so that she would not take his uh spot in goal. And I don't think anybody got it. It was probably one of the funniest things. But anyway, I think Halak wants to... I didn't see it. I I might have gotten it. it. (laughs) Honestly, did you see it, Bridget? No, but I still don't get it. Sorry. Have you... So in D3, The Mighty Ducks, Julie the Cat Gaff... Have you seen The Mighty Ducks series? Yeah. So Julie the Cat gets gets the starting role, Goldberg's backup. So Goldberg's pissed, and he's like, they're at lunch at the cafeteria, and he's like giving her all this nutritional advice, and it's like a bunch... He's like giving her like, cannolis and stuff like that and he's like this is packed with energy and protein and so she stuffs her face and then pukes at practice and he gets to, he gets in goal and I, I put I, but I put like gave, uh, Halak COVID? so I so I put Halak's head on Goldberg's head and Swayman's head on Julie the Cat's head and then Tuka's head on Averman who's laughing it, it was just it was just genius it was hilarious um but regardless um yeah I think it's Swayman and Rask and and you know what what this does? Swayman's play. You know, his he has two losses. One of them was Sunday against the Penguins. And he gave up one goal that was a snipe in the third. Like nothing you can do about that. Um, you know, with 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 Halak, it was you gotta pray nothing happens to Tuca, right? Like because Halak can win you a couple games, but he can't win you a you know a couple series as we know. But with Swayman, for me, it gives me that like sigh of relief. Okay, you know if Tuca goes down for some reason or his play his play goes to hell, I. Have, yeah, it's been seven games, but I've seen enough out of Swayman this year that he can help them this year win games if called upon and win win them some series. So I think that for that reason alone, uh, that's your tandem. And the Bruins have the benefit of seeing Halak in the playoffs last year and kind of knowing what to expect if you ride him in the playoffs. They they had a really large sample size of what to expect from Halak in a playoff situation. So they kind of know it wasn't good enough, like you said, Brian, to win to win a series or two. So I think that kind of forces their hand to the Swayman uh, situation. Uh, yeah, and you got so the, my my uh, 
kind of hot-ish take that I'll bring up here right at right at the right at the end is, uh, and I want to say I am not an anti-RAS guy. I never have been. I've fought those people for years. I think most of them are fools. All your buddies, uh, in the, all your buddies on the ninth floor. All the, yeah. all the all the Rask apologists that he can't do nothing wrong. And he has, look, Rask has gotten a lot of crap over the years, but people also don't acknowledge when he has effed up as much as they should. You gotta you gotta you gotta call it like you see it, which I think you do, Scott. So props to you. Yeah, I think I think he's been a great goalie for going on a decade now. He has generally been very good in the playoffs. I don't, you know, everyone points to Game Six in 2013, Game Seven in 2019. The whole team fell apart. Like. I just I don't think those are on him. I do trust Rask in the playoffs, but I am not ruling out Swayman taking the number one job here going into this postseason. There are nine games left. I think Rask and Swayman are probably going to split them just as they've been doing. I don't see any starts for Halak. Maybe I'll be wrong about that. But, and this is a but because, look, Halak can change in nine games. That's, you know, two weeks. Uh, if Swayman plays better than Rask down the stretch, if Swayman continues to play like this, going right to the end of the season, if Rask maybe has a couple hiccups in there, I think Friday night in Buffalo was a bit of a hiccup. Not his fault that they got their ass kicked by the Sabres. The whole team stunk. But I also didn't think Rask was at his best or particularly close to it. Especially that uh, first goal in the third. Yeah. I just I wouldn't dismiss the possibility, and if I were the Bruins, they're not going to say anything publicly now because they don't have to. They don't have to make this decision until the regular season's over. But I'm at least keeping it in mind, and I'm at least prepared to have this conversation between Cassidy, Sweeney, uh, Goalie Bob. Like, I think there, there's a scenario where that ends up being a conversation that is worth having for them. Would that be a it problem a for take. the— would, that is a hot take, Scott. Uh, would that be a? Um, I don't think it's a hot take. It's it's a great take. I think it's a reasonable take. I think it is. Um, but guys, how do you think that would go in the room? Like, you, you know, they it's well documented that Tuka's universally loved in that in that Bruins dressing room. So, like, if you're Bergeron and Marshan, on the one hand, they're the ultimate professionals and they understand uh, the nature of the business and they understand there are tough decisions to be made, but you know, how how would they take Tuca kind of, you know, having to step aside for Swayman this late in the year going into a playoff run? Do you think that would negatively affect them, even if Swayman was great on the ice? Uh, like you said, I think they're professionals, and I think that they trust Swayman. So I, I think that they, they go with the decision that's made either way. I, I will say that, Scott, I think maybe there's a 20% chance of Swayman being the starter. I, I wouldn't put it any higher than that. That's that's um, pretty high for to be the starter. That, that's what I that yeah, 20% chance is what I would say. Wow. Uh, because he's been playing really well, and you never know what's going to happen with Rask. And I'm I'm more referring to the injury uh, situation than the play itself. Which Fair. Obviously, could also factor in. But I, I would say 20% chance we see him starting. I think fans would love it. I, he, his jersey's already sold out in the pro shop. He's quickly becoming a favorite, which is easy to see why, because he's pretty silly off the ice, and he's, he's so good on the ice. But I, I don't see the, them. If they had to start swimming, I think that, that the veterans would completely understand. Uh, they are professionals, and they – they trust both guys, I, I assume. So I, I think they'd be good with either one. I feel like Tuca would be like, 
Ah, eh, fine. Take the net swim, and that way nobody can talk uh, crap about me. He's like, hey, Cratch, I'll just go to Kowloon and get some Saga Swings. Okay, Duke. You know? No, but but you know, Brian, you know the callers that we get into the station. You know there's like three that will call in the middle of the night, not even during hockey season, to be like, Tuka sucks. We need to get out of, we well, need that, to get him out of here. It, I'm like, please stop he's, calling about Tuka. He's polarizing. It's either people either say he can't do anything wrong or he can't do anything right. And the fact of the matter is, like, there have been Tuca has been a huge reason as to why they've gone on two cup runs, even though I will say nobody talks about the fact that he was not great in the Toronto game in 2013 when they were down 4-1. to But anyway, it, it took a miracle for him to come back in that game, and then he was great after that. Well, but like, There was a stretch where he had pretty bad numbers in, in like several game sevens going over a few years. Well, he, he was part of the, and then, and, the Flyers, uh, the Flyers yeah, um, thing in 2010. Exactly. But like, yeah. and, and then he turned it around. He had some pretty good game sevens, uh, you know, over like the last five years or so. But the truth of the matter, guys, is that Tukarask has been one of the best players for the Bruins on two different cup runs. So if it's not for him, they don't get there. But at the same time, there have been big games where, in addition to his teammates, he too did not play the best when it mattered the most. And like people bring up the game seven against the Blues. Like Bennington got shelled for like 12 minutes there, made the stops. Uh, St. Louis comes the other way. They score one of their first shots. Was it deflected? Yes. Did it still go in? Yes. The second goal, did Martian back check? No. Did Tuca stop it? No. So like there's plenty of blame to go around. But like until Tuca is able to win in spite of his teammates, when it matters the most, He'll always have that negative energy, especially coming off the heels of Timmy Thomas, who was just like, you know, you know, incredible in that in that run. But um, we are up against the guy. So do you have any closing thoughts before we uh, take off? No, it's going to be an exciting week for several reasons, all of which we touched on. You know, we're going to see if how Rasmus Swayman continue to play. Like, can Swayman keep this up and and kind of force the issue? We're going to see what happens with the bottom six. Uh, you know, we're going to see what happens with the power play. Like, those are, I think, the three big questions that we kind of ran through here. And uh, we're getting down to crunch time to, to figure out solutions on, on all three. Yeah, I'm really going to be taking stock in what happens in this hopefully bounce-back game for the Bruins against the Penguins. I think that will tell you more than the two games following it against Buffalo. So I think that's a game to pay really close attention to. Uh, one final thought for me, and it's not hockey related. It's um, more so directed at our listeners. So, like, you know, I think this is what our fifth or sixth episode, I think, that we've done. Um, and I think I speak for all of us. Like, the first, you know, it's kind of been like a bit of a getting our feet under us and whatnot, and just you know, getting going. Um, now that we kind of have our groove going, I we are gonna make a a strong effort to like get more fan engagement, listener engagement for like questions. So. Uh, if you're ever watching the Bruins, just obviously tweet at the skate pod any questions you want us to answer. Um, we're we're gonna try to post some you know video content as well, and we'll we'll tr- may set up some other ways for, to have you guys get in touch with us as well. So I'd be remiss if I didn't bring that up um, because obviously we do this for uh, listeners to get their their daily dose of Bruins talk because God knows they're not gonna get it from six to six on any sports station around here. <laughs> so. Um, With that said, uh, we're going to sign off. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week.